Chapter Two of Only a Ghost by Arrhenius the Deacon, by Sabine Bearing Gold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Two, How I Went to Church with Boodle. Punctual to my appointment, I was at the door of Saint Silas's a little before eleven. Crowds were streaming in at the three doors which led into the church. This looks well thought I. Devotion to the Christian faith seems to have a home within this city. I wonder if they have had a persecution here lately. Boodle was late, and a roll of distant thunder from within told me that something had begun. I soon saw my fat friend puffing up the steps. "'Come along,' he said. "'I'm late. They don't keep seats beyond the first lesson.' "'Keep seats?' I did not understand him. He spoke as if he were talking of the amphitheatre. The Gentiles always had their seats kept for them there, but I scarcely thought that Christians would in this manner imitate the unbelievers, and the lesson. Lesson of what? There was no time to ask questions, though, and we hurried into church. They had not yet begun, though a mighty instrument of music, perched on high, was giving forth a roll of harmony. "'Confound it!' said Boodle. They've stuffed an old woman into my seat, and I've only one, too. They might have waited a few minutes. My seat again. I was so aghast at his profane language in the holy precincts that I could not ask him for an explanation. But what I saw explained itself. The whole building was mapped out into little divisions with high but thin walls between. These little divisions were lined with seats some had crimson cushions and some had not i had imagined the thin walls were to prevent any pushing and quarrelling that might take place for i had always heard that the english were the most pugnacious people in the world and i also judged that the cushions were for the comforts of invalids i could not help thinking what an advance civilization had made since my time my stout friend beckoned me to a busy-looking gentleman in a short black gown and a stick and told him to put us into a seat. Now I could speedily have dispensed with the attentions of the busy gentleman by dropping the intelligent stranger and resuming the ghost, but I was again afraid of the effect such a proceeding might have upon Boodle, whose nerves, I perceived, were not of the strongest order. However, I saw a row of seats without back cushions. And I said to him, Why cannot we sit here? "'My dear fellow,' he replied, "'they are the free seats,' and his tone of contempt showed me that somehow or other they were not the thing. "'Oh, I understand.' A ray of light shot across my mind. "'Those are the places for the penitents. In my time they were not allowed to come beyond the entrance.' Boodle lifted his eyebrows, and I saw that I had said something wrong again so I resolved to be silent and watch the service. In the meantime we had been conducted to a red-cushioned seat, and the door carefully shut upon us. I thought at first we were to be locked in, for fear we might wish to go away before the proper time, but I heard no sound of the key being turned upon us. Preceded by the busy man in the short black gown and the stick in his hand, a quiet gentleman arrayed in white, ascended a short wooden tower and went down on his knees within it the other christians took no notice of him at all 
and might as well have been asleep for anything they seemed to care. In a little while he got up, and muttered something, and then began an address. Dearly Beloved. I thought the dearly beloved objects of his affection seemed wondrously cold in their method of returning it, for though they arose from their seats, they scarcely paid any attention to him, or showed any animation whatever. When Boodle got into his seat, he stood for a few seconds, and stuck his nose into his hat. This curious proceeding did not seem to excite any astonishment on the part of our neighbors. The ceremony to me had no meaning, and as the blessed Cyril had always warned us never to do anything for the sake of mere form or without a meaning, I kept to my own practice and that of my fellow worshippers in Holy Cross, and bowing low, reverently made the sign of the cross. I heard the rustle of a silk dress evidently shaken with rage and disgust, and saw on my right an elderly lady whose face was suffused with anger. She edged off from me with a look of indignation, and whispered to her neighbor, Pusiyite. What could she mean? I looked again, for I knew old ladies were often afraid of insects, and I thought perhaps some loathsome animal of that name might have been crawling on her muff. "'Shall I catch it for you, ma'am?' I whispered as politely as possible. The old lady shook herself again, and immediately changed places with her companion. "'These English are strange people. What could I have done to offend her?' I was grieved that I should have done so, and in my distress I very nearly turned into Arrhenius the deacon, but on the whole thought I might complicate the situation still further by so doing. The service went on. There were singings, readings, prayers, but no amens like claps of thunder. No responses like the roaring of the sea, such as I remember in Jerusalem, and the churches where I had the honor to minister. The attitudes, too, of the worshippers astonished me. Boodle took it easy and sat through all the prayers, and many more followed his example. Some placed their knees upon high cushions, which conveniently hoisted their bodies up until midway they leant upon the red-cushioned seats. This was called kneeling. But it did not look to me like the attitude of the penitents in Holy Cross, in the year of grace, 348. I at first did as I was accustomed to do in the church of the blessed Cyril, and stood upon my feet as we always did on the Lord's day, and on the forty days after resurrection day. But seeing that this created astonishment, and being anxious in all things to avoid giving offence, I went down upon my knees, declining the high cushion, which would have caused the action to become an unreality. By degrees this sleepy kind of worship came to an end, though far be it from me to speak ill of any kind of christian observance i could not help calling it sleepy for none seemed the better or the worse for it and not a muscle of any one's countenance changed a gentle murmur was the utmost notice bestowed upon any of the petitions presented to the throne in their name and the sentiments of sorrow penitence joy and hope sung for them by a few voices near the magnificent instrument of music in the gallery, seemed to wake no answering echo in their hearts. At the end of the church against the wall, and covered with red, was what looked to me an altar in spite of the two red cushions at each end of it. We had no cushions to recline on in the church of the Holy Cross in the year 348 at Jerusalem. 
i wondered all through the service when the great liturgy was going to begin for of course the altar would not then stand useless at last the gentleman arrayed in white went to one end of the altar and placing his elbows on the cushion hoisted himself up to his knees on a short bench before him whilst another gentleman likewise in white did exactly the same exactly opposite to him at the other end and with their heads in their hands and their elbows on the altar they repeated something in a gentle and monotonous tone whilst this was going on someone touched my shoulder in a manner which showed me it was no denizen of earth and i saw above me the shade of the rev edward starch of grummington in the clay contemplating the scene with the most sublime satisfaction ah he said to me and spirit voices have the gift of not disturbing an earthly congregation this is the true spirit of anglicanism see how far removed from popish superstition on the one hand and from puritanical baldness on the other look at the bright example of primitive christianity reading the ten commandments in front of a red altar with nothing on it said i as one of the reverend gentlemen advanced to the rails in front of the altar it is not the least like what took place in my time now you must know that in the holy shades no religious animosities exist each ghost has its own peculiar liking and generally continues attached to what he loved most during his sojourn on earth but he never considers it necessary to use bad language to the other ghosts if they should be of a different way of thinking and such terms as vulgar protestant and superstitious papist are never heard amongst us we all hope there are many different ways of looking at the same truth so i did not feel at all angry with the ghost of the rev edward starch but calmly nodded to it as it floated above me i could not help imagining what would be the feelings of that old lady in the rustling silk if she only knew how close her dainty bonnet was to the peaceful shade and worse still should she ever discover that the quiet gentleman on her left was the deacon Irenaeus of the year 348? After the gospel and the creed, one of the sleepy clergymen aforesaid ascended the steps of a high pulpit and began his sermon. "'That is good,' whispered the shade of the Reverend Edward Starch. "'Now you see the real primitive way of doing things.' "'And where are the children?' said I. "'I see none.' the shade pointed to a gallery at the west end over the music gallery it was crowded with little faces some full of mischief most heavy with sleep huh said i we used to place them close to the altar the blessed cyril always said the children were worthiest to be near it and where are the poor i see none the shade pointed to the seats for the penitents as i thought and I saw about a score of persons who looked as if they wished they were anywhere else. Ho! Every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. I was startled. I thought it must be another ghost, making a quotation in an ironical manner but no it was the text of the coming sermon and the voice was very earthly could any one have a nobler theme 
one to make the heart glow and the tongue utter words of fire to rouse the whole man to animation i could not help thinking what the holy cyril would have made of it but the sleepy preacher was if possible more sleepy than his congregation he told them how thankful they ought to be that they lived in such a favoured land where every one might hear the truth if he would listen here the deaf old people in the far-off free seats began to fidget how thankful they ought to be that england was england and not any other country how thankful they ought to be for their pastors meaning himself no doubt and the other gentleman in white who was nodding his head in the most emphatic manner inside the altar rails whether was sleep or assent i could not quite make out how thankful they ought to be that grace had been given them to do right and in short how thankful they ought to be they were not as other men and having sent most of his congregation to sleep and very nearly himself also he brought himself up with a jerk and abruptly concluded before that catastrophe occurred then returning to the holy table the offerings of the faithful were collected capital whispered in ghostly language the shade of reverend edward starch capital they have succeeded in carrying this point this is the great anglican battleground the prayer of the church militant as the clergy resumed their former position at the north and south end after the prayer and whilst i was waiting for the liturgy to proceed to my astonishment and the great relief of the congregation the blessing was pronounced and the assembly broke up are we to go now said i to boodle go i should think so what more do you want haven't you had enough boodle yawned and looked about for his hat but what does all this lead up to said i if not to the bread of life and how can they all fast to this hour and then go without the celestial food boodle looked at me in astonishment you don't mean to say you think these people have had no breakfast the faithful at holy cross never ate until they had had the holy bread and on wednesdays and fridays the stations you know they took no food till three in the afternoon for the services were not over till then my goodness me said boodle and where do you say is that remarkable place in jerusalem i replied and does bishop gobbett approve of these ritualistic proceedings i don't know i replied i don't know anything about bishop gobbett this was a very long long time ago in the year here i stopped remembering i am a ghost and that boodle did not know it a very long time ago i should rather think it was said boodle pardon me i whispered slightly irritated have you any business to collect the alms of the faithful and not to give them the bread of life it seems to me to be all take and no give all take i should think so it's awful humbug i think but it doesn't hurt me much for i never put in more than a threepenny bit no doubt you feel hurt at not receiving your due bread upon the day of bread no wonder your offering is small well to tell you the truth i have not had what you speak of for many a long year 
what are you excommunicate asked i in horror suppose i had been making friends with some profane person under the ban of the church my dear fellow what are you talking of we don't do such things nowadays as we went out i said to the busy man in black who stood at the door at what hour are the holy mysteries celebrated in this church he looked at me from head to foot and said mystery mystery we don't have no think of that ere sort here we don't believe in no mysteries whatsomdever but surely surely the holy sacrifice is offered some time or other oh you be one of the red-letter lot be you we don't old to none of that ritualistic nonsense more puzzled than ever i went on with boodle as we left the holy precincts i said to him have the majority of the faithful in that church never been within the sacred walls before why should you think so because in the opening address such great pains were taken to explain to those present what they had come for it began if i remember right dearly beloved ha 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 said boodle that has been going on no end of time whenever wherever you go to church even if you go every day of your life weekdays and sundays you will never be allowed to say your prayers until you have heard an explanation of why you came and what you came for for the last three hundred years that has been going on with unintermitting perseverance and the poor things have not learned it yet what a long time it takes to din an idea into an englishman's head we certainly were not so long about it in my day in fact we should not have gone to church at all until we were quite certain why we went come along said boodle we shall just be in time to hear the crack preacher at st timothy's chapel End of chapter 2